Amen. Most of you know the drill. If you are a note taker, scan that QR code or go to fbcdan.com notes and you can take notes off of my notes and email them to yourself when you are done. fbcdan.com notes. Here we go. Week number three. Week number three of pretty little sins. The sins that we can overlook that cause much damage in our lives and in the lives of those that we love. Today we will be in Mark chapter 7 is where we will start. Then we'll go to Ephesians 5 and we'll go to Luke 6. It will be on the screen. But I encourage you to have your copy of the Word open there as well. Pretty little sins, week three. So the first week we looked at gossip. Uh, and that was by far everyone's favorite message probably I've ever preached. Um, I've heard so much positive commentary from that. People come up to me now and go, wait, is this going to be gossip? And I say, just tell the story, good grief. Just tell the story. No, it's, it's, I was talking to someone this earlier this past week. This is not easy. This is not fun to preach through. These types of things. They're not fun to preach through because I'm just as guilty of being sinful in these areas as you are. So it, it's not fun to prepare it. It's not fun to preach it. Uh, you know, the reason that we did it now, it's been on my heart for a long time. The reason we did it now is because we just came out of a series on the Psalms. And that was fun and uplifting and praise the Lord. And he's great and he's magnificent and he's wonderful and he's mighty and all those things. And I thought, well, let's bring us back down to earth a little bit. I'll finally bite the bullet and preach this sermon series that God has put on my heart a long time ago. So that's why we've done it. We looked at gossip, and then last week we looked at four words, four things that we want to make sure that we're aware of, uh, that we want to do. If you missed last week, I, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to either one of those two messages on fbcdan.com. But this week, we're getting into a little different subject, and we're going to start in March chapter, Mark chapter 7. So if you're there with me, let's read it together. It says, Then he said... He being Jesus, what comes out of a person, that defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within a person. Okay, so we kind of looked at that last week a little bit towards the end of the, of the message, and we're going to do the same thing we did week one. We're going to reread that and see if we can tell what's missing. Ready? Then he said, what comes out of a person that defiles him from within. Out of, a personal, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thought thefts, murders, adulteries, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Can anyone pick out any of the words that are missing from the first time we read it. What? Greed. Okay. I kind of emphasized that one, so I was hoping you'd catch it. Another one? And your, and your translation probably doesn't have this word, but it's what your translation means by this word. So the two words that are missing out of that list are greed and stinginess. Greed and stinginess. Greed is taking more than is proper. Taking more than is proper. And stinginess is keeping what should be given away or shared. So greed is taking more than is proper. 
It's okay to take, but greed is taking more than you should, more than is proper. And stinginess is not giving away or sharing what we should. Right? And so I want to tell you just a quick story as we get into this. Something that has happened that, that kind of it made an impact on me. That's why I want to share it. And it kind of goes with this. Because as we get into this, we're obviously going to talk about generosity. We're obviously going to talk about giving. Right? And that's always everyone's favorite subject. But here, here's something that's happened within the last year that, that's really impacted me. So we have a young man from Texas. I've never met this young man ever in my life, to my knowledge. He's from Texas, and he is a self-proclaimed online member of our church. He considers himself to be a member of our church. He live streams with us. Uh, he, he occasionally um, sends in prayer requests through fbcdan.com. And, uh, and, and like I said, he considers himself an online member of our church. This young man has had many struggles in his life. He's made an impact on me even though I've never met him face to face. I found out who he was and I asked some people that I thought may know him and they told me a few stories about the things that he has gone through. And uh, to say he's had a hard life and a hard upbringing is by far the understatement of the century. But here's what happened. Here's what happened that, that made an impact on me. Okay, <clears throat> I went to the mailbox, our P.O. box for the church one day and got the mail out and uh, most of the time it's junk, a lot of junk stuff, we throw it away uh, giving envelopes, that type of thing I take to Jessica and she does her thing with all that usually she gets it, but sometimes I get it and there was one envelope that didn't look like a giving envelope it was just an envelope addressed to the church um, to me and to the church and so I opened it and started reading it uh, and the handwriting was difficult to read like mine is but I read through it, and this young man, this is when I found out about him, said that he considered himself an online member. He listed some prayer requests of things he was going through. Appreci appreciated that we live stream and all those types of things. And there were two $1 bills inside of that envelope. And he said, please, ex please accept my offering as a member of your church. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know that we've ever, as far as I've impacting me, ever received a sweeter, a sweeter tithe or a sweeter offering ever. And it was two $1 bills. And I just, I started crying right there in the post office. Um, man, it made, it made an impact on me. It still does. I still get choked up when I talk about it. But it was just a sweet, sweet reminder, you know, of like Jesus talking about the, the lady that threw the coins into the, into, the, into the treasury box that she had given more than those that were giving so much. It's not the amount. That's not what impresses God. That's not the generosity that impresses Him. It's the heart. So keep that in mind as we go through this today. Let's dig into this. Greed. Greed. There's the Greek word for it, the Greek word that is used in the Greek New Testament, the original language. Pleonexia is the Greek word. Greedy, desire to have more, covetedness, avarice. There's an English word we don't use very much anymore. Fraudulency, extortion, covetedness, practices, greediness. That's what this word means. It's greed. I try sometimes to explain things through pictures, so I thought this picture was fairly applicable. This is what greed might look like in a picture. An excessive to the desire to acquire or possess more than what one needs or deserves especially with respect to material wealth. 
I'm going to read that definition one more time of greed. An excessive desire to acquire or possess more than what one needs or deserves, especially with respect to material wealth. That's what the word pleonexeria or greed in English, same thing, means. But then I thought, well, here's another example. If you're my age, you'll probably remember this guy. How about old Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales? That guy was greedy. So if you don't know who he is, I would highly encourage you to go check out some DuckTales. That's a fun, fun cartoon series. That's greed. What about stinginess? The word there in the Greek, you can see in the Greek and then transliterated into the English, is ophthalmos. 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 If you look at it, you can probably see, if you, if you like language, you can probably see part of that word that looks familiar. The word means the eye or, or vision by implication. We still use that word a little bit in English. Anybody thinking of it? Ophthalmologist, right? Starting to click. An ophthalmologist, someone that, a doctor of the eye. Okay? So this word means the, the eyes of the mind or the faculty of knowing. And it was used kind of like when we say it's raining cats and dogs. We don't literally mean it's raining cats and dogs. It's an idiom. It means something else, right? It means it's raining really hard. The way this was used in the Aramaic and, and the Hebrew, it, it's like a jealous side eye glance. So, so it's, the word is literally the eye, but when it was used in this context, it's like, it's like when you're holding on to something and you give that, that side eye. If you don't know what side eye is, just spend time around a six-year-old and you'll, you'll see it pretty soon. That jealous side eye glance. So, the, so the, the idiom means to be stingy. So yours may say an evil eye may be what yours says. And that's the literal translation. But the idiom itself means to be stingy. That's what it was saying here. So how about some illustrations of that? Right? Stingy, not generous or liberal. Sparing or scant in using, giving, or spending. To be stingy. Or I know Todd... We'll like this one. He, he likes Mr. Bean. That's a pretty good one. Here's a good example of stingy. Or this one is the one I thought of. And, and if you're my age, you'll get this. But Joey doesn't share food. <laughs> Joey doesn't share food. So let's look at some scriptures, some other scriptures on greed and stinginess as we get through this. So let's go to Ephesians 5. Hopefully you're already there. If you're not, it's on the screen. How about Ephesians 5? Here's what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us. And he gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For we know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. Let no one deceive you, chapter 6 now, with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. So three things we're going to look at about greediness in this this. Uh, little passage of scripture right here. Three things. First, greed should not even be heard of among you. Greed should not even be heard of among you. Now, I'm not discounting the other things that are listed there, okay? And we should definitely individually look at them and, and 
take them to heart as followers of Jesus, but that's not what we're looking at today. So those things go with greed, but greed should not even be heard of among you. We're zooming in on that today. So, the, the point that we want to get out of this, sorry for the pause, my brain's a little not working today. The point that we want to get out of this today is that it's not even a question. Greediness and stinginess, it's not even a question of whether or not it's okay or that big of a deal or should be part of what we do or whatever else. It's not even a question. It's absolutely something that Jesus' disciples should not be associated with or identified with at all. It says the disobedient, which is unbelievers. It's another way that Paul is saying it here. The disobedient, the unbelievers. This is how a sinful world lives. Not those that identify with Christ. Sinners live like this, and it's okay, even encouraged. We look at another list that we looked at in week one. But this should not be the identity of anyone that considers themselves a follower of Jesus. So that's the first thing. Right off the top, shouldn't even be heard of among us. Second thing, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom. People who are openly living in rebellion to God by demonstrating this kind of behavior... Do not have eternal life with God. I'm going to let that sit there for a second. People who openly live in rebellion to God by demonstrating this kind of behavior do not have eternal life with God. Those who live unrepentant do not have salvation. So if you're a Jesus follower... You consider yourself a Jesus follower. You've placed your faith in Jesus, and we are participating in such things that are in these lists that we keep looking at. Then we are identifying as a disobedient unbeliever. Unbeliever. Now, I'm not saying that you're not saved. I'm not saying that. Okay, I, I believe wholeheartedly that 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 who is in the grasp of the Lord is in His grasp and stays there. What I'm saying is, you are consciously and willingly identifying as an unbeliever even though the fact that you've placed your faith in Christ, you're saying that you're not an unbeliever. So the question is, is this the testimony you want? As a follower of Jesus, is this the testimony you want? Is this the life that Jesus Christ deserves for you to have as his follower? Third thing, because I know that one's kind of heavy, getting heavier. God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. That's what Paul says right here. He lists out what it is to be a sinner. And you and I are sinners, and every human being that's ever existed is a sinner. And he lists out what it is to be a sinner. And it says, because of that, because of sin, that's why God's wrath is coming. God will judge sin. Period. Therefore, do not become their partners. So again, this isn't a lose your salvation passage of Scripture because there isn't a lose your salvation passage of Scripture. It doesn't exist. But it is if you are a believer and you live and do and habitually stay and stuff like, not habitually, but if you, if you, if you live like this, you are consciously identifying as an, unbeliever and we, as an unbeliever and we are not to identify with such things because this is the justification for God's wrath and you have been saved from that wrath as a believer. In God's grace and in God's mercy, you have been saved from wrath. So do not identify with things that are going to cause that wrath to come. It's an identity issue. 
So, how in the world, because we've been saved by mercy and grace, how in the world can we even consider falling back into things like this? Much less actually live like this habitually. And then you get into the gray area, right? Well, if someone continually, habitually lives in open rebellion, are they saved? Probably not. Probably not. Jesus is very clear. I am not to judge whether or not someone is saved. You cannot do that. But he does say you will know them by their fruit. You can look in the mirror and know that you are a follower of Jesus by the fruit in your life. But when we live with the disobedient, when we identify with a sinful world, when we worship Satan is another way to say it, because that's what we're doing when we choose sin over God. Why would we do this? In other words, (laughs) you've been saved by grace through faith, so live like it. Live like it. As the HNTC says, if we are partners with them, the disobedient being them, we are forewarned. Such people do not share the kingdom inheritance. Rather, they endure divine wrath. No fine theological arguments can get around that simple truth. So, that was fun. How about stinginess? How about stinginess? We're going to look at Luke 37. Luke 6, 37, excuse me. We're going to look at Luke 6, 37. So this is the part in Luke where Jesus has just shared the Beatitudes. Now, normally we look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, but it's also shared and and worded a little bit differently in Luke. Most scholars think that Jesus, this was a message that Jesus preached over and over and over and over and over. It was like the, the, the foundation of all his teachings. And so he's just shared the Beatitudes, right, and the woes. He shares the woes. Excuse me, in Luke, what are the woes? Like, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. This is the opposite of those that are blessed. Blessed is what it is in the Beatitudes. And then he proceeds into one of the most counterintuitive teachings in the Bible. It is so opposed to what it is to be naturally human, what Jesus says in these next few verses. It's truly God-like. He says this in verse 27, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek or offends you, same thing, offer the other also. Don't be easily offended. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from the one who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. Verse 35, but love your enemies, do what is good, and lend. Expect nothing in return. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. This is what is said right before where we're picking it up for our point in 637. Jesus has just shared the standard of love and the standard of mercy and the standard of generosity. And then he drives it home with this verse in 637. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. My pages are stuck together. Having difficulty today. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn. And you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
and running over will be poured, on, poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And we know this principle. We know this principle. You know this principle is that you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. We know that this principle is true. You put out, what you put out is what you get back. What you put out is what you get back. We see it all over the place. The laws of biology, the laws of physics, the laws of God. It's all there. This principle is there all the time. Laws of biology. A lion mates with a lioness. It will produce another lion. Right? Wheat seeds sown is wheat plants grown. What you put out is what you get back. Laws of biology, laws of agriculture, the laws of physics. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. The laws of God. Give, and it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. But here, in this verse, is where it changes from natural to supernatural. Natural to supernatural. From human to divine. Right? It says, given back to you, a good measure, pressed down, Shaken and running over. Going to be given back to you more than you could possibly understand. Why? Why is that true with God? Because God gives according to his character and not according to your worth. And we should be thankful for that. God gives according to his character. The way that he gives is a reflection of who he is, not a reflection of who you are. Thank God for that. And he wants his followers to do the same. He wants those who identify as his followers, who identify that he is their Savior, he is their Lord, he is their King. He wants them to do and live and be the same way. He wants us to treat other humans the same way. He wants us to be supernatural, not natural. Natural is easy. Our generosity... Or our stinginess and greed says more about our character than it does about someone else. How generous we are says more about us individually than it does about whoever it is that you're being greedy towards or stingy towards. In other words, and I know this will be touchy, so whatever. It is what it is. It's like this. And you do whatever you feel led to do, but it's like this. When, when you go to a restaurant... It's an easy example. When you go to a restaurant, what is that thing that we give on top of what the bill is? A tip, right? You know what that stands for? Anybody ever? This is for free. To ensure promptness is what that stands for. So we should give it on the front end, but we don't. Anyway, you give that, and what do you usually give that based off of? Service, right? Your tip, you think, is in accordance to how you were served by the other person. But really, it says more about you than it does them. Now, you might adjust it because of the service was bad. But if you're a habitually bad tipper, you're probably just not very generous. And you find excuses of why the service isn't very good to justify it. I knew that would get quiet. I was waiting for something to get thrown. Right? And then, here's the thing. I skipped a verse. Some of you may have noticed because you had your word open. I skipped a verse. There's a verse between the verses that I just talked about and then the verses we're looking at right here that explains all this really easily. It says this in, in Luke 
chapter 6. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. This is the end of 35. Be merciful just as your father is also, also is merciful. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. This is who God is. God is generous. Unnaturally generous. He's generous to you, a follower of Jesus, who you consider yourself to be a pretty good person probably. And he's generous to those who aren't. They're ungrateful. They're not thankful. They're evil. Because if he's just generous to those that are generous to him, then he's not generous. That's the entire point. Generous is generous to every and all, regardless of what comes back to them. Be merciful just as your father is also merciful. Let me say it another way. Let me say it another way. There's two adjectives that should never, ever, ever be placed in front of the noun Christian. Two adjectives. It, it should never be heard. It should be unheard of. Greedy Christian and stingy Christian shouldn't exist. That language should not exist. That can't be a way that someone who follows Jesus is described. It can't. We, we can't be that. We must be disassociated from that and be associated with generosity. How do I know that? How do I know that specifically about language? Well, let's, let's just flip it around. Put those two adjectives in front of the word Jesus. Put those two adjectives in front of the word Jesus. Greedy Jesus. Stingy Jesus. You better not say that. Not in front of me. We're going to have a, we're going to have a talk. I might get aggravated. I might act like someone who's disobedient if you say that about Jesus. You, I mean, you would never say that about Jesus. Even the world wouldn't say that about Jesus. Then the same thing can't be said for his followers. Je here's the thing. Jesus only wants what he is worth. And we talked about the de definition earlier. He only wants what he is worth. And he gives more than is necessary or expected. He only wants what he's worth. He's not greedy. And he gives more than is necessary or expected. Always. He's worth our undivided, truthful, heartfelt worship. And he gives forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And, and we can't even give a good tip to a waitstaff? And a Christian can't give a good wage to their workers? Someone who does a job for you? Somebody ought to say, you know, he's a follower of Jesus. If you go work hard for him, I promise you, you will get the best wage you've ever gotten. But do they say that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just telling you what I've been feel led to say. If it applies to you individually, that's your own problem. You deal with that. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> Here's the thing. You think you deserve human recognition and accolades for serving in the church? Ooh. You gotten your feelings hurt recently or in the past at some point in time? You work your tail end off, you work and you work and you work and you work, and why isn't anyone appreciating me? And why isn't anyone recognizing me? And why isn't anyone saying, good job, good job, good job? Why would we have to do that? We're just doing what we're supposed to do. Being generous is just what we're supposed to do. Now, I, I understand. I'm a words of affirmation person, right? 
five love languages. Words of affirmation is high for me. Like I used to, I used to tell Kayla, just, just, just hug me and tell me I'm awesome. And I'll do anything you want, like anything. I will run through a brick wall. Just, just hug me and tell me I'm awesome. That's all it takes. I know it sounds cheesy. I know it sounds corny, but it's the truth. And most guys, it really is that symbol for them too. So just keep that for free today. You can keep that one. It's crazy. But we want, we, we, if, the, if, if, if you're ungenerous, at the same time you want Christian to be attached to your name as an identity. The two things don't go together. Here's what God says about a, a lack of giving. Of, and understand, it's not just money. It's time, it's energy, it's talents, and it's money. That's what generosity is. Here's another passage of Scripture where Jesus, or where the Lord talks about it. Proverbs 11. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. There it is again. What you give out is what you give back. It's reap what you sow. God made the world that way. Don't call it karma. It ain't karma. It's reaping and sowing. God made the world that way. Gives that example over and over in the natural world. And then tells us the same thing about everything else. Here's something that Gary Vee says. Now, I'm not advocating Gary Vee. He has very vulgar language and, and all those types of things. But he, he makes some good points when it comes to business and marketing and those types of things. So I'm not condoning what he says. But what he says right here is right. Nobody on earth is taking your money and your happiness. Your perception that they are is taking your money and your happiness. That's a mouthful. Nobody's trying, there's plenty out there. There's plenty for all of us. There's no reason to hoard and there's no reason not to give away. There's plenty for all. Plus, God says he will take care of you when you're generous. Now, we either believe that or we don't. There's plenty out there. The idea that there's not enough out there and that someone's trying to take it from you is what's robbing you, not the scarcity of, a bunch, uh, uh, of resources. Generous, that's the opposite. We don't want to be stingy. We don't want to be greedy. We do want to be generous. We want to be liberal in giving, open-handed, as opposed to closed-handed. Generous benefactor, copious, a lot. Characterized by a noble or kindly, there's that word again, spirit. So here, here's, some, here's just some, some sayings, and we'll finish up. What, what's in your hand, think about this, what's in your hand is the harvest. Okay. So you, 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 you reap the harvest, right? You take in the stuff you've planted. And when it's in your hand, it is the harvest. If you keep it, that's what it stays as. But when you give it back, think about it in agriculture. When you give it back, it's no longer the harvest anymore, right? Now it's seed again. Now it's seed again. When you let it go, it's seed again. If you only hold on to what it is, that's all it is. It can't become more. It can't become more. It can't become something else, right? But then there's this truth. The seed is always smaller than the harvest. It makes sense if you know anything about agriculture. You plant it, you reap it, you take it in. For it to become more, you have to give it away again. You have to plant the seed again. And the seed is tiny, but what you get back is way more than what you put out. The seed is smaller than the harvest. We get back from what we put out. What we, put out, what we get back from what we put out is always more. Jesus says it this way. The, the mustard seed of faith can move mountains. Tiny, tiny little seed grows into this humongous tree, right? We must live with an open-handed mentality because whatever you won't give owns you. 
Whatever you won't give, whatever you keep a closed-fisted hand around, it owns you. It's what you worship. It's your king. The stabilizer for money is generosity. I didn't make all these things up. This is by another business guy. His name's Anthony, Anthony O'Neill. He's the one that said this. The stabilizer for money is generosity. What am I saying? If you have money without a generous heart, it will eventually destroy you. Some way, somehow, it will destroy you. If you are a stingy, greedy person, that will destroy you. Whether in your relationships or your just mental, spiritual health, it will destroy you. You will be greedy and or stingy. Greed is taking more than is proper, and stinginess is keeping what should be given away or shared. So here's the thing. How about us? Because I know this has been a tough two and five-eighths sermon, two and seven-eighths sermon. It's been tough. How about us as a church? How generous is our church? Well, the answer to that is always not as generous as we can be because we can always be doing more. But just to give you an example, okay? What I'm saying is, everybody take a deep breath and let's celebrate just for a second what obedience has looked like so far this year, year to date this year. Currently, year to date, month end, August, what have we done? Here's the things we give to off the top, budget-wise. This is in our budget. It is set, and it happens automatically because Jessica does it. We give to the SBC Cooperative. Okay? We give to the Arkansas River Valley Baptist Association. We give to the BCM, the Collegiate Ministry at Tech, and also those other things give to that, but we give to it specifically, the Collegiate Ministry. We partner with two churches financially for this year. Swerve Church in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and Centerville First Baptist. If you didn't know that, now you do. It's in the budget. The Lottie Moon offering, the Annie Armstrong offering, the Dixie Jackson offering. These are mission offerings for international missions, North American missions, and state missions. This is the kickoff weekend, by the way, for Dixie Jackson, our state mission offering. This is the, the, the time where we emphasize that. What have we given to those things so far this year? $71,055. Now, that only matters if you know how much we've given in tithes. Because if we had a $6 million budget and we give 71000 of missions, well, whoop-de-doo. Right? It's proportion. So God doesn't look at, it at, at, at the amount. He looks at the proportion, the percentage. $71,055 is 20% of our general tithes and offerings. Built into our budget, 20%. That means every $10 you give to this church, two of that is going out the doors directly, automatically, off the bat to gospel-advancing, kingdom-building agendas. 20% right off the top of the money you give will go to other entities that will have a direct benefit as far... that will not have a direct benefit as far as people in this church. Think about that. That's cool. That's really cool. I'm proud of that. I'll be honest with you. I'm very proud of that. That's something we should celebrate and be proud of. Now, if you take that and add it to other indirect spending, because we have things that are not in the budget that are given to specifically that then go out, stuff like benevolence, right? Acts 1-8 fund. That's, that's, that's how we build ramps and, and things like that. The summer food program, where we gave away right at 27,000 meals worth of groceries this summer in 10 weeks, right? The Lita George mission offering, uh, John 3.16 that we gave to directly this year. If you add all that up, okay, 
all those things are, are things that directly benefit others. That's not a program. It's not a service. It's, it's not a fellowship meal. It's not something that directly benefits, quote-unquote, the members of this church. It goes out and does other things. If you add that in, it's $42,613. That's a total of $113,668 that have come into this church and gone right back out to help others, to alleviate suffering, to spread the gospel message of Jesus. And it doesn't necessarily build this church. Now, I think it does build the church because I think God honors that, but it's not something that we're doing to promote a Wednesday night or some type of service here. That stuff that comes in and goes right out. That's a good thing. That's what I'm saying. So what I'm saying is, when you give to this church, know that right off the bat, 20% of it, and then some, is going out the doors to gospel advancing, kingdom building, suffering, fighting, do good things right off the bat. As a church, that's how we are. The question is, are you like that as an individual? Right? But that's what we're doing as a church. And we have to do that. I think, God, I think if we change that, I think God will take his hand of blessing off this church. This church has been blessed financially. And I think as long as we continue with the heart that God wants us to have, I think that will continue. And I think the instant that we start holding on to it, then he'll take off his blessing. Right? So, but we, here, we have to pay staff. Right? We have to pay the light bill. I know you want us to pay the air conditioning bill. Right? The water bill. Right? And we're going to have fun. We're going to have fun fellowships. And we're going to have meals. And we, and we have to maintain our building. We have to do all that stuff. But the number one thing is, are we preaching, teaching, and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ? That must always remain our number one priority. And our dollars have to reflect that priority also. So we'll finish up with six things for you individually. Because as a church, we're doing it. Individually, how about that? Six things to help practice generosity and we'll be done. Trust that God is generous and will provide. That's the first thing. Stinginess and greediness comes from a fact that you do not trust God to provide what he says he will provide. Period. That's what it comes from. So that must be the first thing that changes. Second thing, build it into your budget. Build it into your budget. It's not, it seems like sexier to, to, to give spontaneously. Be disciplined. Be wise. Build it into what you have. Right off the top, build it in. Give off the top. Here's one thing I learned from Dave Ramsey, and it was really cool. In your giving, he says, have a, have a line item for spontaneous giving. That's pretty cool. Maybe it's $5. Maybe it's $1,000. I don't know where you're at financially, but even if it's $5, you see something that month where you can spontaneously help and you give that $5. And you know you're not going to go overdraft because you built it in to your budget, right? So build it in to your budget. Build giving into your budget. If you try to give from the bottom, you'll never be able to do it. If you give off the top, you'll always have enough below it. I've seen it in my own life, and God says it's true, so I believe it. But also look for spontaneous opportunities. Look for the opportunity. Look for the time you're in line to help someone else out. Look for the spontaneous opportunities to help someone that may be in need. Pray and seek a generous heart. Pray and seek a generous heart. Make a list of skills, talents, and passions because it's not just about money. 
Make a list of skills, talents, and passions that you have that you can give out to someone either for free or for a very reduced price. Maybe you're not in a financial position where you can do it for free, but you can do it for a fair price. But if you are in a position where you can give out your talents, your skills, your abilities, your blessings that God has given you out to the world for free, then do it. That's generous, and that's God-honoring. And then the last thing is look for areas to sacrifice financially for a time. Okay? Like, I don't know, cancel Netflix for a month. You say, I don't have any money to give. You don't, know, you don't understand how tight it is. Okay, cancel Netflix for a month. That's a pretty large luxury. Most of the world doesn't have that. Just for a month. Take that 20 bucks, give it to somebody. Just find areas to sacrifice for and use it for generosity. Because here's the bottom line, and we're done. Last thing, last slide, I promise. This is the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion or because the preacher preached about it, because God loves a cheerful giver. That's the bottom line. God loves it when we are generous because we are acting like him when we are generous. And the most generous thing he ever did was give his son for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins and give the gift of eternal life through paying for our sin with blood on a cross. And that's a God that I'm willing to be generous for, even when it makes me uncomfortable. I'll pray for us and we'll finish in song. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for uh, celebrating with Addison Ash today, Lord, with the baptism. We just thank you for the gift that that is to us spiritually and emotionally, just the, the, how that helps us and, and, and what that means for her and her family, Lord. We just thank you for that today, too. I pray as we finish up in song today, God, that we'd finish up worshiping you well. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You would stand.